What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. Today, we are going to be joined by... Adam Spinella, a frequent guest and friend of the podcast. He is the Washington and Jefferson assistant men's basketball coach, also writes for the basketball writers. And if you follow him on Twitter, which you should be doing if you are not already, at Spinella14, that's at S-P-I-N-E-L-L-A-14, he he publishes these daily ATO videos um, every single day, emphasis on daily. Definitely check those out. You'll always learn something. He's come on today to talk to us about Kevin Durant's injury uh, in Game 5 against the Houston Rockets, talk about the Boston Celtics being eliminated by the Bucks, Kyrie Irving's future, talk about the Lakers' so far botched head coaching search, and then we also get into our long-term outlook evaluation for the Orlando Magic. So we have a lot of stuff to get to. I hope you're excited. I'm excited. I'm always, always excited. And again, be sure to follow him at Spinella14. If you want to be following me, I'm at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And if you have not already, be sure to check out Blue Wire, at Blue Wire Pods on Twitter. Also, the podcast network is fantastic. We're pumping out content left and right across all sports. Fantastic NBA stuff up there right now, including Blue Wire Buckets, published three times a week which has really been going in-depth on all the postseason happenings. Finally, as a last note, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us. We really appreciate it, particularly when we see the numbers going up on iTunes. So be sure to take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knox on iTunes, throw us that five-star rating, leave some feedback in the review section. Andy and I are always reading those and are very appreciative whenever new ones pop up. As always, you can find us wherever else you're consuming your podcast. Still, iTunes, best way to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening, that you have things to say. Once more, please, we very much appreciate it. Now, though, with all of this out of the way, we get to our conversation with Adam Spinella. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, or back to, excuse me, the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you once more without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. I am, however, pleased to be joined by good friend and reoccurring guest of the pod, Adam Spinella. He is the Washington and Jefferson assistant men's basketball coach. Uh, He also writes for the basketball writers. Be sure to check him out and subscribe to him over there. And he also publishes the daily ATO on Twitter. Those those videos, daily, again, emphasis on daily. They're, They're coming up 
all the time on your timeline, you should definitely be watching them. If you're not following him, I would strongly recommend remedying this immediately. He can be found at Spinella14. That's at S-P-I-N-E-L-L-A 14. Uh, today, we're going to be talking playoffs, Kevin Durant, free agency implications, deep dive into the magic. It sounds like a lot, but we promise we won't run too long on it. First, however, though, we do need to ask the question that everyone wants to know of everyone except for myself on this podcast. Adam, how are you doing? Dan, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be back here on the Hardwood Knox podcast. And as we know, when the Hardwood knocks, I answer. So glad wow. to be here on the pod and uh, wow. you know, a lot of basketball to be covering and excited to be going into detail on each subject. Um, yes, we are. We are excited to have you as always, of course. Uh, the the thing I guess I want to get your opinion on first, probably Kevin Durant's injury. It's we don't as we're recording this, we don't know the results of his MRI. They ruled out his Achilles. They all, they also ruled him out for game six against the Rockets. If 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 they have to finish this series without him, or if he was out an extended period of time, would you still one pick them to win this series while they're up three two? That seems like an easier question. And two, uh, would you still pick them to win the title? I think I have to go yes to both questions, and and I think the reason for that is just because this is as dominant as Durant has been, he's the one piece that the Warriors already know how to play without. They've won titles without him before with pretty much the same core. And, you know, Curry and Thompson both have more to give in this series. We've seen that early. They haven't been their best. And the Warriors were able to jump out to, like you said, a 3-2 lead. So even though Durant has been explosive and, and the best player in this series, this opens up more opportunity for Golden State's other guys to really pick up more than breadcrumbs, so to speak. <laughs> um, I cannot, I would agree with all of your answers there, and I cannot, for the life of me, drum up any real concern for Stephen Curry. I, I know he hasn't had a great series against the Rockets. I just don't care. I still, I just, I look at the Warriors, even without Durant, and it would be, what, blowing a 3-2 lead here would be surprising. People can insert their 3-1 jokes there if they need to. But I just, even even when people really try and worry about the Warriors and question their inevitability, as I have done, it's still hard for me to just conjure any real anxiety over their title chances. Without Durant, obviously, it, it would get tougher. But even if you say they're going to go up against the Raptors or the Bucks in the, the finals, who I think are two very great teams, I, I think I would still pick them. Yeah, th- this is the only series where a team can really go small and match or try to hurt the Warriors that way where, you know, if Kevin Durant can't go for an extended period of time, they have guys like Kevon Looney that can slide in like Andrew Bogut, who can give some spot minutes. I mean, there there's enough within their front court depth that they'll be able to match up fine with either Denver or Portland. And then in the NBA finals, any of those teams there, like everyone else does have a true type of post player that can impose their will a little bit on offense and golden state is built to defend that a little bit. Plus we still don't know what the status is with DeMarcus Cousins. He's throwing out rumors that he may even be back this season. So, I mean, it, it's your guess is as good as mine, Dan, as to exactly when these guys return. If you, let's just say the Warriors are at full strength for the NBA finals. If you're looking at all the remaining Eastern conference teams, uh, Philly, Toronto, and 
um, Milwaukee, is there one specifically that you think poses the, the biggest threat to them? Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee's the best team, and they have the best player. Toronto is the most versatile, and Philly has Embiid, which is probably the toughest individual matchup just for how Golden State is built. Um, I've always thought Toronto was custom-made to kind of thwart them because everybody shoots it a little bit, and the one player I'd fear going up against probably is Kawhi more so than Giannis just because he's a little bit more diverse and he has experience in NBA Finals. So uh, if I'm Golden State, I'm probably hoping that it's it's not Toronto. Uh, I think that Milwaukee's probably just a little bit easier to guard for them. Yeah, I would agree with you there too. I think Philly by far is actually the worst like matchup in terms of I don't I wouldn't give them a chance against Golden State. No. I, I just couldn't envision that. They might also be eliminated by the time most of our listeners are are consuming this podcast anyway. Uh it's weird because I think the Raptors are would be just make for a better series against the Warriors, but I could I could see the Bucks just steamrolling them in the Eastern Conference Finals because the Bucks have had that kind of year. And you look at what they've done in the playoffs thus far, uh, how they responded to losing game one against Boston. And then now you're just getting Malcolm Brogdon back who, who slashed 50, 40, 90 during the regular season there. I'm not saying they would be a bad matchup, but I could see them really giving the Raptors problems to where maybe that series doesn't even go seven games. And so that's a, that's a bizarre place to be in where I think the Raptors would give us a better series against the Warriors, but I could, I could easily see the Bucks cruising through them. Yeah, and, and that's such a difficult matchup, the Bucks raptors theoretical Eastern Conference Finals, because it ultimately comes down to Pascal Siakam and Chris Middleton, kind of the, the 2A playmakers, where you know Giannis is going to carry the team on his back. You know a guy like Kawhi Leonard is going to continue to be super efficient on both ends of the floor. Can that second guy, who's very versatile and creative, really step up because I think Lowry and Bledsoe kind of cancel each other out a little bit both teams have stretch shooting bigs that they start with and come off the bench they're built very similarly but can Toronto find a way to use Siakam in a way Milwaukee can't stop and can Chris Middleton play in a way that Toronto really has no answer for the uh the other playoff related item or I guess not playoff related anymore you mentioned this before we uh, went on air that you really couldn't stomach that Celtics loss to the no. to the Bucks. Do you have any overarching thought thoughts on their post? I almost did a Boston accent there. That was really weird. Any overarching? You were thought- wicked close, there, Dan. You were wicked close. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any overarching thoughts on their post mortem? Do you think Kyrie is is just a goner at this point? Do you think that maybe we're just reading too much into body language and trying to parse? Uh, too many quotes by this point there for a team that had this open-ended title window it seemed uh, at the beginning of last year to the point that where they're at now or at least optically that's that's just an impressive devolution I I really don't think anyone has known what to make of the Celtics this year from a chemistry standpoint from obviously the Kyrie narrative has dominated a lot of the news because he's just a very enigmatic type of personality that you never really can read whether he's truly invested or if he wants wants something different uh and you know i don't place any of the blame on the feet of the coaching staff or the front office i think they assembled a team that in theory works really well and works really well together 
They have obviously a couple guys that underachieved this year. You didn't get as much as you thought you would out of Hayward coming back from that injury. Terry Rozier was a disappointment and pretty much played to the point where when he got into the game, every Celtics fan would groan and didn't get enough out of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum to take that next step. So, you know, when you factor all of that in, does that lead to Kyrie Irving kind of saying, you know, the glass is half empty here. Guys didn't live up to the hype and the promise that we had. I'm going to go somewhere else and start fresh. Or does it lead him to say, we have all of the answers that we need internally. These guys get better. We have every piece that we need and three, maybe four more draft picks coming up next year. Like we can build a championship contending team. It didn't go the way we wanted it in year one, but stay the course. And that's where I think level-headed, steady voices like Brad Stevens and a championship building uh, experienced general manager, president of basketball ops like Danny Ainge can have a huge influence on a guy like Kyrie. The thing that was probably undersold was Gordon Hayward's, I think regardless of how well his recovery went, just the season that he's, or the injury that he was coming back from, expecting him to be even close to where he was when they signed him was really a stretch. But also he had that, I think it was that second surgery in May. Mm -hmm. So like that wasn't too far before the start of the season. And so this might be a situation where it, it does mean need to marinate and, and you'd listed all those other guys and we don't know what's going to happen with the Anthony Davis situ situation. I would guess that Terry Rozier leaves in restricted free agency, depending on what his market is. But when you have so many players, none of whom are really at a point in their career where, where they're in a position to sacrifice, these are all guys, even Irving himself, who are playing for his next contract. It makes it makes them coalescing that much harder and to expect it to have happened over a season. I, I don't think was a necessarily fair expectation. I'm not excusing Boston, but the expectations for them were never really adjusted while they were going through all this. And I think that contributed to now all of a sudden this is Brad Stevens overrated conversation. Um, is Jason Tatum as good as he's a, or worth being a cornerstone prospect Ditto for Jalen Brown and everyone's culpable in all this. But to think that the Celtics are all of a sudden in, again, again, I don't know what's going through Kyrie Irving's mind, but to think that the Celtics are all of a sudden verging on disaster definitely overstates the, the situation that they're in. Definitely. And I mean, obviously Milwaukee just cruised through them in four straight games and exposed some of the flaws that the, the Celtics have being able to shoot the ball. But I mean, what other teams in the Eastern Conference would you rather be long term than Boston right now? Uh, Philly still has two huge guys that are about to be free agents this summer. And we're still hear rumblings of whether Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to mesh long-term. In Toronto, Kawhi Leonard is still a, a giant, giant question mark long-term. Uh, obviously, Milwaukee is, is the team to beat right now. But other than them, is there someone that you would rather take than Boston in terms of their roster and long-term trajectory? I don't think so. No, I think I'm with you there. Maybe if Leonard goes back to Toronto, that's a roster you look at with Siakam and, and Adenobi. But even then, I would still think it's there. It's not going to be more than two teams in the East that you're taking over Boston's future. No, but you won't know that until Kawhi makes a decision during free agency. Or So right. if, if you're a guy like Kyrie, you got to look at the landscape and say, OK, I could go to the Knicks in New York. <laughs> You know, and maybe we get Zion and, you know, maybe Durant comes and joins me. But even that, is that better than what the Celtics have with you? 
Like that, that's where my answer is probably no. So I think if they take a step back, breathe, let Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens kind of work their magic a little bit. I'm not one of those guys that just kind of jumps to this conclusion that Kyrie is gone. Yeah, I'm I'm not there yet either. I I tend to be one of those skeptics too when it seems like all signs are pointing towards players doing one thing. I'm just always hesitant. It was it was the same way when everyone thought LeBron was going to the Lakers for me. Ultimately, I was wrong, but when we're talking about one scenario playing out so far in advance before so much of the year, it just seems like I don't I'm I'm inherently skeptical of it. And I could almost see whatever equivocation he had behind the scenes maybe that was just him sort of sensing that he needed leverage or wanting to make sure that the Celtics were going to give him a five-year deal this summer as opposed to you know maybe offering only four trying to sell him on a three-year pact or something yep definitely definitely um the last non-Orlando Magic thing the Lakers dominating headlines even though that they are not in the playoffs uh it looked like they were going to hire Ty Lue he backed out of negotiations because he wanted a five-year contract. They were only offering three. The Lakers already missed out on Monty Williams. It still seems like it's unclear whether uh, he turned down the Lakers' job or just wanted to make a decision and picked Phoenix. I've seen conflicting reports about that out there. Now, however, though, assuming the Lakers and Tyron Lue don't re, like reignite talks or give him uh, more years uh, or whatever expectations and contracts that he's looking for, uh, some other names have been thrown out there, Jason Kidd, Frank Vogel. Um, we know now that Kurt and Linda Rambis are apparently becoming very powerful basketball operations voices in Los Angeles. This is just, I, I don't even, I, what do, I don't even, I can't even ask you what you make of this because it's just so much melodrama. And could you potentially see if this coaching search, search continues to be just so cartoonish or if the Lakers don't end up striking gold in free agency if they don't end up trading for Anthony Davis. Is this a situation where LeBron's future with the Lakers is all of a sudden up in the air? I know he hit, he's under contract. He has two more years before his player option. But if they, it seems feasible now that they could strike out in free agency, have a disastrous coaching search, and now you're going into the ne- next season with LeBron and basically the same corn, if you're lucky, maybe Anthony Davis, but even all the stars need to align for that to happen for you. They're not beating Boston's best offer unless Boston decides to remove themselves from the sweepstakes because Kyrie leaves. Um, If the Knicks win Zion, and again, that's a big if, and they're willing to give him up, that's not an offer that the Lakers can beat. So you almost have to hope that these other potential suitors flame out if you're the Lakers so that you could then become one of the more attractive trade destinations. You know, I don't think there has been an organization in the NBA as mismanaged over the last seven or eight years as the Lakers. And it's just, this is just another example of how it's, uh, it's crazy over there right now that you can't rely on anything and, or predict anything that's going to happen. I mean, think about it right now. Ty Lue has won a championship with LeBron is it a coach with championship experience, which is something you don't have. How many years was he a head coach, Dan? With the Cavs? I think it was two and change. Yeah, it was either two and change or three and change. He went to the NBA Finals every season he finished out there. And you're telling me that you're not going to pony up enough money to this guy or you're going to essentially mandate that he hire someone else who's a candidate for the same job 
on his staff who, by the way, Jason Kidd, whatever impression he makes in interviews, I want to grab that skill because everything outside of the interview says he's a horrible coach. So however he fools people into thinking he's great in the interview process, I need to learn that skill. But it's just it, – it's a clown show right now, and I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I'll tell you the one guy I thought would be the perfect fit for the Lakers all along is Jeff Van Gundy. I, I think that he'd make a lot of sense for this, this team, this roster, and just mentality-wise, he's got what it takes to be a championship-level guy and, and just quickly raise the Lakers. But, God, they, for all the options that are available out there, it just seems so toxic almost. Yeah, and you know that they're not going to yeah, – the Jason Kidd stuff is hysterical. You're totally right on there. He – let's – quick recap. Tried to seize control of the Nets basketball operations when he was over there. Remained similarly power-hungry in Milwaukee. Conveniently revealed that private conversation he had with Giannis Antetokounmpo after he was fi- fired in Milwaukee. The Bucks never really – I don't I, – I just – I can't say that they grew under him so much as that they might have grown in spite of him just because you look at Giannis's rise and – you know, yeah. you change coaches there without really overhauling the personnel and look what happens to that team. So that you're trying to foist him upon anyone is just, like you said, I would love to know how well he comes off in interviews. I if, The thing that's also complicated about the search too is because you're the Lakers, because you have LeBron, you're not going to be, this is for want of a better word, just creative when looking for the next guy. You're not going to pillage through the list of assistants or first timers because you have LeBron and we saw how that sort of worked out you know with with David Blatt even though he was there before LeBron was technically and so then you're limiting yourself to these names where it's you know Frank Vogel's a good coach but you're limiting yourself to this these guys with experienced track records particularly if you're not uh, willing to consider or acquiesce to Ty Lue's demands yep yep exactly that's exactly right and and as a, a coach myself it, I can't imagine being hired for a position and having someone try to micromanage and tell me who should be on my staff as well as trying to kind of underpay me based on what I'm worth and and have proven I've been able to earn in the past. It just, it baffles me that the Lakers kind of have handled the process through their, their coaching search as they have. Are you implying that you were offered and turned down the Lakers job? I can neither confirm nor deny. All right, there you go. We'll leave that to the (laughs) listeners' minds then. All right, everyone, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have already tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Nothing to lose. Go try this. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. 
ready to talk some big picture Orlando Magic stuff. Yeah, let's do it. That's why we're here today is to talk about the Orlando Magic, kind of one of my favorite dark horse teams from the past year and, and a team that I think with the, the right moves and kind of the, the right shakes of the, uh, of the hourglass are going to turn into a really interesting team next year. Their, their offseason is going to be particularly interesting because it's, it's a matter of, to some extent, how much do you read in to this past season? Yes, you made the playoffs for the first time um, since Dwight Howard left. Yes, you were over 500, but you're only two games under 500. Ross and Vucevic are, are free agents. I still, You still don't necessarily know that you have the point guard of the future in place, though DJ Augustine played well and you made the, the trade for Martel Fultz. Even their defense. I know you're coached by Steve Clifford, and they just had all... You talked about this, I think, when I had you on early in the season or before the season. We talked about what he was going to do there, and they had all the hallmarks of that team. You're not going to you know, overly foul. You're not going to try and enforce a, a ton of turnovers. And they had... It was like the second-best defense for more than half the year this season. I look at the personnel... And I'm sort of wondering whether they can even repeat that success. So it's it's just they're in such a bizarre situation because I wonder whether they're going to, if they don't make any wholesale changes, whether they're going to be as good next year. And I think this complicates the matter of, you know, how much do we reinvest in this roster or at what point in this rebuild or our direction are we? I think probably the easiest place to start with that is on Vucevic because he obviously all-star this year with his performance and what he was able to do. He only made just under $13 million a year. He's due for a pretty large, sizable raise on the market. And you have your 2018 first-round pick in Mo Bamba standing right behind him ready to, to come in and, and perhaps make more of a sizable uh, impact on court in the future. So I think of Vucevic as I call these guys now Blake Griffin trade candidates. That they're they're guys that are free agents that you know you have to re-sign because they're too valuable to just let walk out the door. And by re-signing him and then maybe trading him around February, you're going to be able to use his bird rights in, in essence to go above the cap and get something a little bit more meaningful. So I think Vucevic is a guy they have to re-sign this summer. But I don't think that that means that they essentially commit to having him as part of their core long term. That what really intrigues me about Orlando long term is this Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon kind of three man front court that is super long and disruptive and defensive minded. The Vuj part is interesting too because I don't know what his market in free agency is going to be like. He seems like one of those guys where it's the way Clint Capella's restricted free agency played out in Houston, where you knew the big offer wasn't coming from anyone, but he got paid anyway. It seems like that's the situation uh, in Orlando with him, where I think he will be handsomely compensated. I don't, I don't think that he's. They have to worry about him going out and fielding a huge offer. Maybe the Lakers on a one or two year placeholder if they whiff on everybody else, but that sort of helps them. You do run into the issue, even if you're signing him to trade him, you have to make sure that that contract is then. Um, a, a tr- an attraction for teams that right. might be interested in him. And they definitely had that in mind with Eric Gordon when you look at the declining scale of his mm-hmm. agreement. Uh, Vucevic, I think, is just a little bit more difficult because of the the direction we know about bigs. And he's 
he's what you want basically on offense, not really someone who's going to face up, but you look at his passing, even showed a bunch of on-the-move passing this year. Uh, Three-point shooting was at a career best for him. I know he had a rough playoffs, but he's still really good. And he's a, I would say he's an underrated defender, uh, mm-hmm. just just a guy who you can depend on to drop back and not get burned. Um, and, and so I just, I don't know how much you pay that guy. And I don't know how attractive that guy is as a trade asset. If you're paying him, let's say, you know, 15 million a year or something like that. I think if he's anywhere below 18, he's probably fairly attractive, but it depends on the years and how you structure it. I mean, we've seen a trend over the last couple of seasons where some of these guys that come into free agency with just a little bit of a question mark of, okay, exactly how much are they worth because the market might be so crowded and and oversaturated for players at their position, they'll give them maybe a three- or a four-year deal where that final year has only a partial guarantee. So it kind of gives a team an out to swallow that deal if they have to. And down the line, that makes it a little bit more palatable of a trade chip. I mean, we see that right now with a guy like J.R. Smith and his contract. We saw that with George Hill heading to Milwaukee this past year, like, yeah, Hill's making about $20 million a year. Or I think he's making 18 next year, but that only has a $1 million guarantee. So there's a lot of contracts you can structure like that in order to have that versatility down the line. And I think the Magic would be able to do something like that with Vooch, just because, like you mentioned, there's kind of a lack of suitors out there to give him that home run type of deal. Do you see, and I guess your stance on that would then imply that you wouldn't look to move Mo Bamba, if you do get into uh, Vucevic for, you know, let's say if, if let's say it's a four year contract or something like that. No, and and I've been, I probably should get uh, lambasted for this one a little bit, but Mo Bamba was my top guy on the 2018 draft board. I think he's got so so much upside and potential because of his length, his ability to shoot the ball a little bit. There's just so many things you can do with a guy like that. And he's so imposing uh, just from a physical standpoint that it's way too early to to cut bait on him. So um, obviously losing Vucevic, the biggest concern there isn't about necessarily Bamba and whether he's ready to to take that step and fill the role. But you're losing so much offense on a team that really struggles to create points. Did you see anything from Bamba before his left uh, leg injury that you particularly liked? about him I, I think the everyone was excited that he could be this just as a good floor spacer on the offensive end wouldn't necessarily need the ball and, and then be this huge defensive force they definitely tried to in the scant minutes that he played I mean he averaged 3.3 attempts per 36 minutes and you know a 30 percent clip for a rookie of his size isn't necessarily terrible but I think it, it seemed I'm just not sure if this was tainted by the injuries or his lack of of playing time, but it did seem like a lot of people were disappointed by his rookie campaign. He he had an underwhelming year, but a lot of that to look at injured those final 12 games. He was shooting about 38% from three and 58% from the floor. His offensive rating spiked. And I mean, he's never going to be a focal point of an offense. He is more of a, like a Rudy Gobert type of guy on defense and then he can pick and pop, which is the only difference between him and Gobert. Guys like that always have a lot of adjustment. It takes time to build yourself up to that level. But um, I do think that he's he's got a chance to be in somebody really, really good someday. Do you think it gets at all interesting for them if 
they re-sign Vucevic, maybe even keep Ken Birch as well, another free agent. Is that where the questions might start to percolate, where it's, okay, well, one of these three, at least one of these three guys is going to be on the move sometime soon? I, I mean, maybe, but Birch is, to me, the perfect kind of third cog and, and third guy in the depth chart in a center rotation. I mean, he's not necessarily a backup center on a playoff team when he's playing that role for all 82 games. He's good. He's perfect at a screen and roll big. He's very athletic, active on defense, can hard hedge, can protect the rim a little bit. But I don't think there's anything about him that says that he's played himself out of affordability for Orlando for being kind of a like 11th to 15th type of man on their roster. So he's a great insurance policy to have, and I think it's perfectly acceptable for them to kind of head into free agency this summer saying we're going to keep all of our centers together it's the rest of the roster that we really need to be concerned about upgrading and part of that's going to be terrence ross's free agency that stands to be more fascinating just because big men again tend to get squeezed uh, on the free agent market and ross probably shouldn't run into that issue he shot 40 plus percent on pull-up threes this year i think he's an underrated scorer out of the pick and roll at least he definitely showed that this year for them. Um, he did anchor a lot of pretty good lineups too that wanted for offense at points during the regular season when you didn't have Vucevic on the floor. Is he, he then, I think based off what you said about Vucevic is then clearly just the bigger flight risk for them, right? Yeah, that I think so. And, and that's like you said, the market for him, I think you can never have enough shooting. He's proved that he's versatile enough on offense and, and he's makes a lot of sense for so many teams as that, sixth man type of guy so it really comes down to what Ross wants I think Orlando would be kind of crazy to offer him more than like 12 million a year for a guy of, of his stature um, and for him it's do I take the money and stay in Orlando or am I attracted to a non-taxpayer mid-level exception for just under 10 million and and want to be on a, a winning championship caliber type of team yeah, that's I I can't I can't see a team or pick or single one out where it seems like maybe they would throw the bag at him. Yeah. Twelve million a year is as sort of an apex does seem right. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, I guess if they let him walk, maybe that says more about his price point. But if they bring him back, I I do think that then speaks to them wanting to remain competitive then in the East and saying we want to get back to the playoffs and we view ourselves as that solid postseason squad in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and and they absolutely have planed their way and earned their right into saying that they can be. Now, the question is, if you bring back Vucevic and you bring back Ross, is there enough growth internally to take a step to the next level? Because you don't go through a rebuilding process like Orlando has through five or six years that's slow and painful and has many hiccups in the road just to get back to being a six through eight seed in your conference. You have to have higher goals and something like that. So if there is a move that they can make that kind of shakes it up and gets them to the, the higher level, that's great. But re-signing both Ross and Vucevic long-term handcuffs them from being able to do something like that a little bit. The swing piece there would be, I, you have Jonathan Isaac, there's still Aaron Gordon who's fairly young, but the, the swing piece in all this is Markel Fultz. Yeah. There are people, as he deals with thoracic outlet syndrome, there are people on, there are just people who don't think that he's ever going to play in the NBA again, which I just think is bonkers. I just don't, I don't know how it gets to the point where he just wouldn't play again. Um, But if he ends up panning out, 
This is then all of a sudden a team, it changes their entire outlook for the better. Where now I think you can evaluate them almost independent of his progression just because of what they gave up for him. So I'm just... Did you? I'm assuming this is months later, but do you still like that trade when he ended up not playing for the rest of the year? Do you think it was a good gamble by them to make? I, I think it was the right gamble, absolutely. And a lot of that, they didn't give up much. Like I, I really don't think what they gave up for his kind of upside is terrible. I mean, okay, so he's having issues with the shooting, but even when he has played, he's proven he can go out there and get a triple-double if he's given minutes. Like, you're giving up a second round pick for a guy like that. Come on. That's, that's a good gamble to take for, for an organization that's been in the spot that Orlando has been. Now they can't just sit back and relax and rely on him to be the focal point of their offense moving forward. They have to have a contingency plan and they have to make sure that they're putting him in a position to succeed by surrounding him with other shooters, which is an area that they lack right now. But I think it was a huge, huge gamble for them to take that hopefully pays off, but it was the right gamble to take. And there's just a real chance that it ends up, the package ends up being Jonathan Simmons and then three second round picks for, yeah. for faults because we don't, the OKC's 2020 pick is top 20 protected. And right. they're, you know, I don't think you could say that they're going to be one of the best 10 teams in the NBA, uh, at least not as just an offhanded uh, thing. So that's, I still think it was all these months later. I still think that was again, a good risk for them to take, but you can't, like you said, you can't rely on him to carry the offense, and so I still think they are one of those teams that has to be in the market for another point guard this summer. I'm not saying that you need to let's renounce Vucevic and Ross and you know make these huge plays for uh, Malcolm Brogdon or or D'Angelo Russell or Terry Rozier, but I do think that you need to add just another half court initiator to hedge against what you may not have in faults. Yeah, I, I agree, and and the tough part cap wise that they're in is i know we'll we'll talk about this a little bit and you're the cap guru and i'll let you go into all this stuff from a formality standpoint but it's the cap holds of guys like vucevic and ross that kind of prevent them from using a free agency budget to really go after one of the big name lead guards out there and that probably helps to an extent because i don't know that this is I know you have Steve Clifford, but you're probably not going to get Kemba Walker, and then you're just you're not going to get Kyrie Irving. So this necessarily isn't the secondary market to have a ton of money to work with. And so, you know, they can get. I, I would have them if they renounce both Ross and Vucevic, they would have a path um, to between seventeen and twenty million dollars in cap space. But depending on what they do with uh, Wes Awundu, I mean, he's coming back, but Ken Birch. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's money that you can use, but. The non-taxpayers mid-level is about nine point two million, nine point three million this summer. I you shouldn't allocate it all to you know one of those second-tier, third-tier point guards, but I think that's enough for them to go out there and you know if they really wanted to, they could throw it all at Patrick Beverly and see what happens there. But th- there are other names uh, like Co- a Corey Joseph. Uh, not sure you trust him. We're looking for offense first guys, but maybe a Darren Collison. Just some of these game manager types where. They could be your backup if Fultz ends up starting, and maybe you could play because Fultz is so big. It's you can play. You don't really have to, you know, make DJ Augustine your third guard necessarily. You can still make sure that he gets minutes along with another point guard, and they can play beside Fultz. That's probably just the the better route for them to take at this point, I would think. Yeah, it, it's the mid level exception is always such a 
fascinating uh, mechanism to watch for in the summer because teams use it so differently. And the toughest part, the perfect guy for Orlando in this is kind of a pipe dream, but Malcolm Brogdon, uh, being a guy that can handle the ball a little bit, he spaces it off the ball, he fits their defensive style and personnel, and he's still young enough to be reaching his peak at the same time as his roster. But because Milwaukee has that restricted tag on him, it's going to be really hard to pry him away, let alone seeing his market shrink into that mid-level type of range. So I think if he proves that he's healthy enough after this this injury here, as he gets back in the Eastern Conference Finals, I I don't see any way that he's cheap enough for Orlando. But a guy like him would be perfect. So I think Orlando probably's best bet is to split the mid-level, actually, because like you said, the secondary market out there for those lead guards that can score it just it doesn't really exist. I mean, Patrick Beverly's a point guard, but he's not a score first guy and and doesn't do much to further their offensive portfolio. So they may be best served kind of splitting that mid-level and giving like five million to one guy and four million to another shooter on the wing and seeing what they can get from that. And a, a target there that just off the top of my head, Austin Rivers does make some sense for them. He's from that area. He is on a absolute hot streak right now shooting the basketball and he's probably been a little bit underrated as a playmaker as well future golden state warrior austin rivers <laughs> he uh, this is not necessarily a magic note but malcolm brockton's free agency i if someone gave him an offer in the 16 17 18 million dollar a year range which is almost double at that point the mid-level exception i'm mm-hmm. still not entirely i don't think milwaukee would even let him walk at that point yeah and, and that's that's the crazy part is I mean, their tax bill is probably going to be huge, but if they justify it by being a championship contender team year in, year out, you definitely swing on that. You overpay to keep a guy like Brogdon. So again, like I said, pipe dream probably can't happen, but he's a really fascinating player to to watch this summer because I know Milwaukee has a, a couple other decisions they have to make with guys like Miritich and then um, obviously Brooke Lopez. The other name that kind of sprung to mind to me for Orlando in this point guard discussion was maybe a Jeremy Lin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was pretty good in Atlanta. I know he doesn't play in Toronto right now, but he's also played for Steve Clifford before, and that's someone that I think he could, you know, that that a, a Fultz and Lin lineup at points. Fultz, I think Lin could probably even play for August with Augustine for stretches. That defense is going to be terrible, but it's it's something that can happen. He might be a name. I don't know what he's going to cost, but I would think he's a guy that you could look at and say, hey, maybe we, if we're going to split the mid-level, he certainly falls into that price department. Yeah, and, and another thing that they could do, and this is thinking pretty outside the box here, but I identify a team like Minnesota who has a pretty large choice with their point guard situation, choosing between Teague and two free agents coming up in Tyus Jones and Derek Rose. That would not be shocked if Minnesota decides to kind of take a step back, retool, and add some assets. If Orlando, say, through Mozgov and a pick at a guy like Jeff Teague, is that necessarily the worst deal in the world for either side? I, I don't know. Yeah, if you're going through, if you're Minnesota and you're kind of committed to firing up the rebuild again, mm-hmm. I would think that that's something that you could look at. That situation is just interesting in itself, too, because how do you rebuild with two max contracts on right. the roster already? Right. Um, Aaron Gordon had a pretty good year in Orlando, shot the three ball. Okay. Just still falls short of that star tier. And I'm wondering what you're still 
looking to see from him is it I think the two that people harp on is they do try and they try and get him to orchestrate pick and rolls is it more important for him to develop even further as a passer and scorer out of there do you just need him to be a more consistent pull-up option is there just an additional part uh, of his game that you're you're looking to see that perhaps might still grow and it seems kind of weird to say this because he just wrapped his fifth season but he's still just I don't want to say an unknown, but it's we are reaching the point where this just might be who he is. And if that's gonna if if this season is just the standard for Aaron Gordon, that's perfectly fine. He was integral to the way that their defense was played too. And if you're gonna get him to shoot close to thirty five percent from three on uh, about five attempts per thirty six minutes, that's that's a good spot to be in. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. And offensively speaking in terms of designing a playbook around guys and their different skill sets. You think of players as kind of coloring books, right? They either draw inside the lines where this is their position. They're very neatly fitting inside the positional mold, which makes it a lot easier to delineate their role within an offense. Or they're a guy that is so unique and versatile based on their skill set or their athletic portfolio that you have to draw outside of those lines in order to maximize their skill sets. And Gordon's athletic profile is one that makes you think he should be outside the box and outside those those borders. But his actual skill set hasn't caught up to that yet, to the point where you don't you can't deploy him as a you know ball handler and, and ball screens reliably for long periods of time. You can't let him be a spot up option while someone else does that work. He just hasn't developed his skill on a reliable level on high volume to get to that point. So for me, I'd say the ball screen stuff probably has to come first because it's something that Orlando really lacks right now. And uh, I think that's probably the best way to utilize some of the other guys on their roster too. DJ Augustine and Evan Fournier, by the way, never Google his name. Uh, (laughs) No, go ahead and Google it, everybody. Strong (laughs) wreck. Those are guys that, that are good spot up options like their backcourt lends itself to having a front court pick and roll tandem and that's also how you can maximize Mo Bamba a little bit early whether it's pick and roll or pick and pop so if I'm the Orlando Magic coaching staff going into this offseason that's probably priority number one is continuing to push like hey Aaron we need you to be a primary creator for us let's get you to play more with the ball in your hands and see what we can do. He might also, I don't know if it, he would be thrown maybe off tilt by Fultz being healthy and good, but he, if you look at maybe him being used as a screener and what he could potentially do as a spot-up shooter, he might be the player on this team that would benefit most from Markel Fultz panning out. Him or maybe and, Jonathan Isaac, I guess? Yeah, I think as long as Fultz has a jump shot. I mean... Right. Guys, their their front court is a little bit crowded with guys like Isaac and Gordon who are like average to below average shooters that they can't afford to have a point guard that doesn't shoot. It's what we're seeing in Philadelphia right now in the postseason series. When you have too many guys on the floor that are just not effective threats to, to shoot the ball from deep, you become a lot easier to guard. And it doesn't necessarily matter what actions or plays you run from a coaching standpoint because – the ultimate counter to that is just to sag off the perimeter and load bodies into the paint so you don't get anything easy at the rim. And that's where Orlando, if they're going to continue to improve their trajectory with this core, they need Fultz to 
work out as a shooter. They need Isaac and Gordon to improve as shooters, but they definitely can't, can't afford to have Fultz and Gordon go side by side as kind of focal points of an offense without one of them at least being a really good, dependable shooter. Isaac, though, definitely had a rough playoffs. He shot the ball well towards the end of the season. He was at 38.3% from deep after the trade deadline on about six three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. He is – it's never going to happen in Orlando. He would be someone else that would be cool to see being used as a screener a little bit more. But when you have Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and then you know put Bamba in the fold, that's just not a role that uh, he's ever going to be able to really to have. And so there he's in the sort of Gordon bubble where they have to straddle that line between developing him offensively probably more so as a wing and is there did you see anything from him that made you think that that would pan out or do you think he's going to have to be someone who just figures out a way to feast on spot up threes and and in transition yeah I don't think Isaac's ceiling is that of a guy who is necessarily uh, a focal point or even like a top three cog in an offense he's more of a breadcrumbs guy so to speak uh take play both yeah, yeah, I know. Never thought we'd be comparing those two offensively. But um, yeah, his, his long-term, he's just such a good defender. He has to see his way on the floor. And and again, if everybody pans out with their skill set, the thing that Orlando has to kind of face is, do we put Isaac as a small ball five and have him and Gordon run the four five and sit guys like Bamba and Vucevic? Because that may be the key to competing with some of the top teams is just being super long and athletic and switchy and figuring out exactly what they're going to do um, to just have some of their best guys who were Vucevic and Bamba sitting on the bench. What was encouraging, though, is that when you played Gordon, Isaac, and Vooch together this year, Orlando had a 110.2 offensive rating per cleaning the glass, and that was in almost uh, 2,100 possessions. That's not... That's a 51st percentile when you're filtering yeah, out good. garbage time. So that's I, I think that's fine if that's going to be your front court pairing. And if you give them, again, I know DJ Augustine was good this year, but ultimately, at the end of the day, he is DJ Augustine. Right. If you give them a higher-end point guard and it faults as that guy, maybe that's where all of this potentially starts to come together. And, and that's where I push back on fit and go back to shooting again because I think the reason those three guys were able to be successful in a pairing was because – the backcourt mates that they were most frequently paired with were Augustine and Fournier, two guys that are really, really good three-point shooters. And if you replace one of them with Fultz, who, if he's questionable from deep, that just shrinks their spacing and their effectiveness on offense. And Fournier didn't even shoot the ball that well for a good chunk of this season. No, no but he's built the reputation at this point where you have to guard him as yeah. if he's a really good shooter. Putting Terrence Ross into that if you're using Augustine or putting mm-hmm. Terrence Ross in for Fournier is where that could probably be an offense that really takes off. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Wes Awandu, uh became sort of a, just one of these, I don't want to say came out of nowhere because he was getting playing time last year, but just one of those hard gritty guys for them. Do you see him having enough of an offensive ceiling to maybe carve out an even bigger role? Uh, I should say high enough offensive ceiling, excuse me, uh, to have a bigger role. From what I saw of him, it seems like he he could or is or going to be a very good one-on-one defender. He shot 37% on spot-up threes. I just, I'm curious to see, is he, he almost seems like one of these Isaac-type players where 
like you said, he's never going to be an off- a featured offensive weapon. They don't necessarily need that from him. I am just sort of curious for your thoughts on what type of role you see him being able to fill with Orlando or just in the NBA in general going forward. He's a guy I've always really liked Wundu, and it's because he's got offensively this great combination of ability to just take a mismatch off the bounce, and he's a he's a pretty good shooter. Uh, but it's his defense that's going to earn him playing time. And I, I hate to you know beat a dead horse here and sound like a broken record on the pod, but they've just thrown so many draft picks at long really intriguing athletes and at some point you have to have a plan for how you put everybody like that together so is a wound good yeah I, I really like him as an upside guy but they don't have the prerequisite combination of shooting and playmaking to really warrant moving him up a spot in the rotation cog like they just they need more guys that can go and get a bucket as simple as it is to say like somebody that can space the floor, somebody that can go get a bucket. And I don't think a wound is either of those guys, which playing time wise hurts his ceiling more so than his talent. He did get um, to the free throw line more than I expected him to during the year. But I think those thoughts are from you are they're kind of just spot on is that they do have all these intriguing long players, none of whom project as a, a real offensive hub. And Fultz is still, again, that's broken record. That's the wild card. That's the swing piece because he is, he he's the one guy that could maybe bring this all together. Again, like you said, if he had a jumper. Yeah, it, it, it really does come down to that. And he showed it in college. That's why he was the top pick because he is effective at scoring on all three levels and show that alpha male type of mentality. But there's anyone's guess is as good as mine as to exactly where he would turn out and, and what it's going to look like when he finally does put on an Orlando Magic jersey. This is kind of backtracking since we talked so much free agency already, but were there any other targets that, given their price range, we're looking at the mid-level that you saw that might be interesting for them or that you look at and say, wow, that, that'd be a guy that can really help out Orlando if they're trying to get back to the postseason next year? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes to under-the-radar type of guys. Um, Alec Burks from Sacramento who kind of would be a solid steal and get for them just to continue to shore up their bench and be another rotation guy. But honestly, I'm almost more intrigued with what they do with that 16th pick in the draft that if they're able to continue to reinforce that long defensive profile that they've really looked for in prospects, but also be able to, to get somebody that they really like that can score the ball. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be, able to take a lot of to make a lot of growth between now and next season and, and I, there are a few guys that, that exist out there in the draft that fit that kind of mold so we'll, we'll see exactly where they go with this um could you see them going nuclear and letting both ross and vooch work uh walk excuse me to then have maximum cap space or is that just dan come on they're, they're in orlando or cap space doesn't mean that much to them it's it's pretty much that yeah they they just there's no track record of being successful the only guy that you do that for is Kemba if you know that the relationship between he and Clifford is going to be able to pay off and get him there but even that I, I just I don't necessarily foresee that working and quite honestly 
they're not an organization with their timeline in a position to make an attractive bid for a team like that. There are still a few too many question marks about guys like Gordon and Isaac and Bamba to really know that this is a team that can quickly turn into a championship contender if you add an alpha male piece. And I'll get you out of there on this. If there's a player that is there a player on this roster, or rather, if there's a player most likely to be traded over the offseason on this roster, though Orlando does seem like a team that might wait until the middle of the season when they have an idea of who they are and where they're going before making any moves. Is there anyone on the roster that you think stands out as someone who could potentially be traded though over the summer? Oh, it, it's tough and, and I do want to like punt on that and go with Vucevic to the middle of the season just because I think that's the most logical uh, point of, of order for them. But uh, I'll give you a dark horse one here, DJ Augustine. Being a guy on an expiring contract next year, making about $7.3 million. there are a lot of teams that could use him as a spot-up option in the backcourt. He's proven to be a solid, if not average, defender. Um, and there might be someone that's willing to pay a second-round pick and a, a decent role player that's young to be able to, to buy into a guy like Augustine as, as a missing piece. He was... He shot cool. the lights out on pull-up threes, too, this year. He was at 38.9% on two attempts per game. So that's not not someone who should be your offensive fulcrum, but if you're looking for someone who could just get spot offense off the dribble as well as be that you know shimmy between that on-ball, off-ball, I know it's tough because he's not particularly big, even though he does play, for someone who's only six foot, he does play pretty physical defense. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't even someone I thought of, but certainly – Mid-season, you know, if the Magic are out of the playoff race, that's someone who could be one of those low-key trade deadline prizes for a contender. I mean, come on, you can't tell me he wouldn't be a great piece in Philly right now for what they need with their roster construction. I mean, he, he's just, he's a really good shooter, a smart veteran defender, and he's available on a fairly modest-sized expiring contract. I think that if there's one guy on this roster that Orlando's willing to say, well, we can make it work both short and long term without him. It's probably Augustine. If they were willing to, I guess, attach it. Also, Augustine and uh, Beverly. It's one of those situations where it's imagine if um, th- those are, uh, excuse me, I don't know why I said Beverly, but if it was Augustine for August, bleh, tripping over my words, Augustine and Beverly with Philly. When you look at the trades they completed this year, it's like imagine if they were able to get Beverly as part of the Harris trade or could it? Could they have gotten Augustine somehow as part of the Fultz trade? Their own outlook for this season and even beyond looks completely different. Right. That's right. That's right. And that's why I think a lot of those teams are going to proactively kind of make that call and say, all right, can we get a guy like this in here to help just boost our bench a little bit, give us a little bit more shooting, and we don't have to necessarily give up too much to get him. The other guy that I thought of for Orlando is if they were willing to attach a pick, um, or maybe this year's prospect, if they're not, you know, if they draft like a like a Cam or a Keldon Johnson or somebody, just if they attach the pick to Mozgov, maybe they're able to get an impact player who's on it. I don't want to say an undesirable contract, but at an interesting salary, maybe who has money going into 2021 uh, that a team would be looking to get rid of just because Mozgov is then good for salary matching purposes there. But before we came on, I, I spent time really trying to find what player that would be. And unless Steve Clifford wants to reunite with Nick Batum or something, and I don't even know if you would need a pick at that point. If you went Mozgov for Nick Batum, Charlotte just might say yes. That's an interesting thought. 
it's a really would, good... you need more money but still like mm-hmm. it's i would i don't think you need to that would be what they're looking at i don't know if that's the uh the gamble that you want to make maybe the market's just a little bit different because a lot of these guys who signed contracts in 2016 are now going to be on expiring deals so the the trade market changes but these new contracts since half the league is going to be free agents this summer basically once you get to mid-season, that's where maybe the trade market gets a little more interesting for something like that. Definitely. And and I think a lot of the reason I hesitate to part with the 16th pick is because I think I've fallen in love with a guy, Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech there. I think he would be an unbelievable fit stylistically with Orlando, and he's definitely got a shot of being available there. So like I, I temper my, my kind of impulses right now to, to go out there and make a deal with that 16th pick just just because i love the crap out of that kid well there you have it look a little bit of draft preview for orlando there too uh adam spins thank you as always for coming on i i very much enjoyed it i hope that hoops heads and magic fans enjoyed it as well and anyone looking to learn a little bit more about the magic um you need to be following adam spinella on twitter if you are not already uh, he can be found at Spinella14, S-P-I-N-E-L-L-A-14. He's the assistant men's basketball coach of Washington and Jefferson. You can also find his work at the Basketball Writers. Be sure to check them out and the work that they're doing over there. And definitely be watching Adam Spinella's daily ATOs on Twitter. Those are just fantastic. And as someone who doesn't pride himself on being this gritty x's and o's expert i love learning things from from these videos a lot of respect for people like spins and caitlin cooper of indy cornrows who are just able to dive into all this really just nuts and bolts stuff that's happening on the court be sure to check uh out spins's daily atos until next time though i leave everybody with a shout out to kyle anderson for the ones who know that a little late is always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.